another episode of Cloudcast, our 14th episode. We're a podcast about pop culture and social commentary from an Asian American perspective. My name is Marvin Yoi. With me, as always, is my co host, Christine Minji Chang. What's up, everyone? And today we're joined by the Traptivist, Richie Menchaka. <laughs> <laughs> Men and Great. chocolate, really. Men and chocolate. Men and chocolate. Okay. No. It's, it's Men Chavez, but... Men Chavez. Yeah, I purposely... I, I don't put it out there often because uh, this whole, like, putting your real name and all that... Oh. Kind of wanna... trying to... Should we record that? No, 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 no. It's fine. <laughs> no, no, no. It's fine because I think eventually it's just going to have to be no, out no. there, right? They want to know the man behind the magic. Yeah. I know. My goal is to get Tractivists out there without them knowing me. It's funny because I keep saying, you need to meet my friend Tractivist. Yeah. And I was like, That's fine, wait, though. what's his name? That's awesome. What's his name? Richie. It's kind of like, it's kinda like, uh, like Bobby Hundreds, right? You people, people know him as Bobby Hundreds from the Hundreds, you know, the clothing line. People know him as Bobby Hundreds. It's kind of like that. Okay. Richie Tractivist. Okay. <laughs> Just Tractivist. Or Tractivist. So. We're, the so, Tractivist. The we're, Tractivist. We're going we're gonna to refer to you as Mr. Tractivist. From Mr. Now Tractivist. On. That's fine. <laughs> Indeed. But thanks for thanks for having me on the show. No Thank problem. you for coming. Yeah. We're so excited to have you here. I'm try something new this time. This podcast is part of the collaboration movement. Minji, please tell us your best elevator pitch on Ooh. the collaboration movement. Oh my movement. god. <laughs> are we going back to that? <laughs> the collaboration movement. We are a nonprofit organization now. Um are we really doing this? Am I getting interviewed? No, I'm just no. It's it's something in the future I'm gonna ask our guests this, so we're gonna get some interesting answers. Indeed. Everyone knows what collaboration is. Otherwise, you wouldn't be listening to this. No, I'm kidding. Because, baby, you don't. Collaboration is a nonprofit movement. I'm actually, I should know this because we're getting an award on Friday. Congrats. Thank you. From the city of Los Angeles. Honestly, I'm like, I'm really blown away. And I'm kind of nervous because now it's like really hitting. Oh, like, oh, we need to accept this at City Hall on Friday. It's actually a big deal. I was there um, just two days ago, I think, you know, to support... Uh, one of our friends, uh, Annie from Found Coffee. That was at City Hall. It was. Yeah, and, go uh, Annie. Yeah, she she received award for, you know, small business, outstanding small business, twenty fifteen. Good for but, her. But you know, like I was thinking, it was just going to be like you just show up and then you know they present something and you just walk away. But it was actually a two hour ceremony. May, the mayor was there, who's like really charismatic, and yeah, he shared his story. Then other entrepreneurs shared, shared their story. That's awesome, and, and it's just, it's just a great event. And you really you really feel proud about being from LA. I mean, I just moved here, um, but from I, from the Bay. Hey. Go Warriors! Even though we lost, but it's okay. Stephen Curry, whatever but, Steph Curry. But yeah, congratulations mm-hmm. to your organization because you do great things, and I, I believe think it's, it's Stephon Curry. Stephon. Whatever. Yeah, it's, it's, it depends. Stephen like, Curry. if he's having a good night, it's Stephen Curry. But if it's bad, it's Stephon. It's kind of like, yeah. Steph, was it like Family Matters? Steve Urkel. Steve Urkel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I always call him Steph. Uh, but, anyways, thank you very much. Yeah. And that actually both excites and scares me. I'm just because, you know, I'm from the Bay and I was running collaboration up in San Francisco. And to me, that's the way that I've known it my whole life, whatever for the last several years, but living in LA for the last year, I've learned so much about how deep collaboration, because this is where it all started. Mm-hmm. This is where the magic started and how it has impacted the community in a lot of different ways, not just like artists, but people who volunteered or people who were inspired by it and they started their own thing. It's well, it's kind of crazy. Well, we were founded back in 2000. I know. When, 16 you know, years. I was still in high school. Yeah. I think you were just starting high school. I was yeah, sophomore in high school. Yeah. 
So now we're revealing our ages, but well, we always do. We always talk about how old we are. I think I'm older than both, so I'll just take a step. You back. look younger than both of us. Oh, thank you. Or as young as I. Yeah. <laughs> no, um, that's really cool, and I need to brush up on my elevator speech because I will be accepting it on behalf of collaboration, and the mayor will be there. Mm-hmm. And I think I just that all hasn't sunk in yet, but it's it's a huge honor. Just I was like thinking about it. It really is. yesterday, and I was like, this is from the city of LA where it started. It mm-hmm. means a lot, and you know, we've been around for sixteen years. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a, it's a, it's a really 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 big honor to be recognized. On that level, and then you know, Asian Heritage Month, which we are in. Yeah, it's May, guys. It is happy May. Asian Pacific American Heritage Month, or it's APAM, gonna be May, as we would like to say that. <laughs> Why would you bring the internet stuff here? Because we are young millennials, and <laughs> first of all, we're old millennials. We're like Justin's the, not young anymore we're either. The, we're the um, we're the vanguard of the millennials. Do people still listen to NSYNC? Do youngsters know that he came from NSYNC? I don't even think they know. It's like kind of like how uh, us and like Nuke is on the block. I don't know, and I'm not sure if they care to yeah. know. But they'll be reminded whenever there's like an NSYNC reunion because he's on a show and he brings them on. I feel like NSYNC happen? is like, it was cheesy back then. It's cheesy, like super cheesy now. But everybody listened to it. This is my thing with pop music is that everyone has like, I talked about Britney Spears, how I was like a closet fan because I loved, I knew every one of her songs pretty much. You knew like, and everybody knows it. you go to karaoke and you get people, you know, a little bit under the influence or something. Everyone comes out of the yeah. closet because they all know the words. To every Backstreet Boys song, every <laughs> NSYNC song, and every Britney Spears and every Christina Aguilera song is true. It is so true. I mean, even, but to see, this, even to this day, like I'll play at gigs and if I throw in a Backstreet Boys or an NSYNC or Britney, I mean, you'll get the reaction. Exactly. Like, I don't know. They didn't, they didn't sell millions of copies <laughs> of their albums to the air. <laughs> People <laughs> bought it. To be fair, I only ever had those CDs because they were free from buying one other CD that my dad bought and then you put the stickers on. For nice. Like the, um, the publisher house or what was it? I didn't do that. Uh, the... Uh, Sorry, I was just thinking of a, the lyrics to Backstreet Boys. I'm sorry. Oh. Yeah, sorry, I got distracted. Everybody, I, like, I just know <laughs> that one song. Don't know why. What? I want it that way. That's Everyone it. knows that song. I know. I don't. Yeah. I always like. I had the In Sync CDs, but I didn't have Backstreet Boys because I guess I they weren't offering for free in that random house. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't available. Um, but actually, that's how I first got into like. Uh, like the more like because I was always more of an alternative rock guy. Yeah, you really do. So like, you know, I was listening to like Green Day, uh, Blink, Third Eye Blind, yeah. like those. Like, See, I only more... know the like the ultra popular ones. So if it comes on the radio, it was like their one hit. Like I mm-hmm. was like, I know Blink One Eighty Two, and they're like, Oh, did you listen to Blink? I was like, No, <laughs> I only know the ones that they put on the radio over and over and over again. Yeah. But still, it's fun. But that's yeah. what I'm saying about pop culture. It's like everyone knows it, and they're like, Oh, it's so cheesy. I was like. Do you know the words? Do you dance to it? If it comes on at the <laughs> wedding, are you going to get your groove on? Be like, that's my jam. Yeah. Everyone does it. <laughs> so own it. That's why I was like, 20 years later, I come out of the closet about Britney Spears. <laughs> yeah. Not 20 or like 15, but she's awesome. Yeah. Well, I mean, through college, like my playlist was mostly songs I heard on Scrubs and like Asian. Like I started getting Asian American music because of, I used to follow this these forums but i forgot which ones but that was how i started listening to things like uh 
um, really early stuff like Lena Tang, um, Christine Sa. Was it um, the ASEAN chat room 099? Might have been something similar. <laughs> I, I, I was sure. trying to remember, <laughs> and it definitely was. I don't think it was Asian Avenue because I didn't. I was on there, but I didn't really use it that much. I but did. I don't remember. I made my where background I found all sparkly. I, I made sure I actually had Kai like that's it was funny because we were talking about yeah. different musicians but being from the Bay and whatever like I was really into like Kai interlude um, Panai all that mm-hmm. they just they sang my soul you know well shout out to them um, that's actually one of my very good friends is AC from Kai who Marvin was able to to meet that day at the Asian Pacific Film Festival so jealous he mm-hmm. told me yeah <laughs> I, we'll, we'll make it happen but um, thank you yeah I, I would say that he inspired me to get involved more with Asian American music because he at the time, man, we, we were really like, I mean, they weren't even Kai when I knew him. And at some point they ended up touring with like NSYNC and Backstreet Boys. And what? Stuff. Yeah. So I mean, follow, yeah. Yeah. So following there, that's why, you know, you do have to uh, recognize the importance of pop and mm-hmm. how it became like an avenue, especially like for Asian Americans. I mean, they were the first, well, I wouldn't say the first Asian American boy band because I recently mm-hmm. found out there was another one back in like the sixties. Who? The Rocky Fellers. I've never wow. heard of them. Really and you would never stuff. know by that name. Yeah, I mean but not uh, that that's necessary, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, hopefully, um we bring light to them because they made some really good stuff. I mean, they have a track. Um uh I think that was it's considered one of like those oldies tracks that you know you you do have to listen to so i'm but, actually a huge oldies fan i'll send it to you yeah it's dope no i love 50s music mm. like some of my favorite songs for some reason we had like a mixtape when i was five or six years old and it was all like the top hits of the 50s mm. so we play it in the car and my cousins and i would dance and sing and like <laughs> get all crazy because it would just because back then you guys we didn't have ipads we didn't have screens in our cars to watch movies. We listened to music and we would just we would play it in the car, we'd get home, put it in the giant stereo with like you know, and play that and we'd dance for like a good half hour to fifties music. So I, I, I think there's such good influence from those eras of mm-hmm. like to pop because it's all kind of like Yeah, maybe that's because um so my father was always into was really into music too. Like when we went back to Taiwan to, you know, visit family stuff, we went to his old room and he had all this like he had bootleg vinyls. Vinyls. Right. Of like the top hits of the 70s. And so like, you know, when we were doing those, you know, catalog free CD things, like he would buy his favorite albums too. So that's like awesome. growing up, you know, heard a lot of mid 70s, late 70s, you know, rock and roll, um, pop hits from then. And so that was the music that we played in our car when, when we, when I was growing up and music that like when he wants to wake up, he'll just blast it on our, on our <laughs> Is that what you're going to do? <laughs> it's a good way. My dad, my dad played a lot of ABBA, which I love. I love ABBA, and then um, Anne Murray. Those are like the two. It's like country and then ABBA, whatever the <laughs> heck. I, I feel like ABBA's like the, like the NSYNC or like you know like the ultra ultra cheesy pop. Like, yeah. you guys can't see me dancing, but I'm like, <laughs> you know. But I don't know. That's so cool. I, I I'm envious of that because my parents like they love music, but they never went out of their way to collect anything. So like we didn't, whatever we owned was a result of my brother and me going out and, and fetching it. And then also having my dad break them. Um, he, my dad, oh my God, it's funny anecdote of my dad. He, he broke our MC hammer tape. He's just like, what? cause I was like four or five. My brother was probably like six or seven and he's, you know, 
it's rap music. He's not listening to it. He doesn't care. He's just like, this is not appropriate for children. And he like <laughs> broke it. And my heart broke along with that tape. I was like, whoa. No. Yeah. So we didn't, we weren't like, I think you're really lucky. You know, it's again, kind of what you're able to be influenced at a young age to have yeah. in your life. Yeah. Musically or otherwise, yeah. film or otherwise. Yeah. I was surrounded by music. Like, man. I'm at earliest albums I can think of is um, like Stevie Wonder albums, nice. Chicago, Air Supply. Mm. Yeah, I mean, having that in the house, just accessible on vinyl. That's why vinyl culture, I don't think it'll ever die. You know, there's something very um, nostalgic and just... We're all about that nostalgia. Yeah, and even the process of, you know, because I dig online for music all the time. And it's it's fun. But I think going to the store, going through that process, you know, actually seeing, smelling vinyl, all that stuff. And discovering it and seeing the artwork. Oh, yeah. That was really cool. I mean, that's that's something that I fear. It's changing, right? But, like, that's something I miss, like, having the tangible CDs because I loved the inserts. And even the tapes, you know, like they have the artwork or like what did they use for the cover thing? Mm-hmm. Like it's it becomes so iconic. Like for me, one of my favorite things I'll never forget is the TLC Crazy Sexy Cool album because it's mm-hmm. that red cover yeah. with the three of them, their, the silhouettes of their faces. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But that's like that's what I associate. Whenever I hear their songs from that album, I think of that cover and I remember all the lyrics being it, which are totally not appropriate for like a 10 year old to be singing. But I totally learned them by heart. You know, Red Light Special is not a fifth grade song, but, <laughs> but that's what I listen to. We'll just stick to Waterfalls. Yeah, Waterfalls. We'll stick yeah. to Waterfalls. I went and learned the left eye rap thing like when I was 10. Do it. No. Yes. <laughs> no. So we'll go better. karaoke one day. And yeah. you, you and Phil can do it. I'll lay I know Phil can do it. I know Phil can lay down that, those lines. Yeah. yeah. Left eye was the bomb. I love her. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. Rest in peace. No, but it's, it's, that's why I love having you. Cause I could talk with you from about music for days <laughs> and days because that, that, and, and even Marvin, like Marvin actually teaches me a lot about the other stuff that I don't know because he, I'm very, very pop, like top 40 and I embrace that finally. But, um, you go into the deep trenches. Like you actually, I would probably like take, to be real, I would take like a really great singer or artist and listen to maybe like their top three songs. And know them really well, but I wouldn't listen to like the whole album. You listen to like everything, yeah. And he remembers titles. He remembers like, oh yeah, it was on that album and blah blah. I was like, how do you know this stuff? I actually come to think about it, that's how I handled prior to like iTunes, prior to MP3s and stuff. That's how I listened to. Um, that's how I decided if I was going to buy an album. Uh-huh. I said if there's three tracks on there that I like, then I will buy the album because it's kind of like calculated. If you mm. have to purchase like a ca- single. If that's what, if you kids even know what that is, right? Um, but yeah, like uh, purchasing three of those is pretty much around how much you'd pay for an album. So that's how I did it before. Nice. Yeah. Not I, anymore. I just bought the album. <laughs> I just stick it in the player and then just listen to it. Because, um, you know, back in high school, we had a lot of, like, I was in the marching band. I was in, on cross country team. I was in um, a bunch of clubs that did a lot of traveling. Like, we went to conferences, did a lot of networking, things like that. And so there's a lot of long bus rides. So I would just have my. You know, my CD player with like 10 seconds of skip buffer and like, you know, just play a CD throughout, like, you know, just go. Yeah. And so because um, I guess for me, I always feel like the popular songs are good. Like I don't really get a feel for like what they because like 
a lot of the other songs on there are songs that like maybe the record company didn't mm-hmm. like because it's not mainstream enough mm-hmm. but it's kind of like you get a feel of like what they want to say and other things they want to do and like, yeah. i think getting a feel for that is that was always kind of like sometimes in that b-side you find like something that resonates with you or that becomes my favorite song for like a week mm-hmm. you know, respect so. i would just yeah. buy singles i mean that's because like that's that was my regular thing because back i mean i just remember middle school i used to go to the mall all the time the mall was like the place to be yeah. that's where i would go get my stationary fix i buy my nice pencils i'll get some like clouds and birds and bears on my paper and then i'd walk over to the music store take a sticker picture and then buy cds right and take cds picture. yeah yeah my first album that i ever bought because and that was like that was really special to me just because i didn't do it that often was um mariah carey the one with Hero on it. I don't remember the name. Are you going to cry? Oh my God, I'm going to cry. Um, <laughs> but that was the first album. Every Everything after that, I bought singles. Kai, I bought their single, Say You'll Stay. Oh. I bought, I remember one of my first singles ever that I bought was Usher. You Make Me Ooh, Wanna? Yeah. Because before that, again, my brother bought albums. So again, I, 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 I think that's really cool that you took upon yourself to like buy it and listen to everything. I'll just kind of buy what was available or like oh. listen to what was available and only what I liked. And make playlists. <laughs> well, when I started making money, I used to. It was just ritual. Every time I got, I like deposited my paycheck. I would walk over to the Tower Records next door. I was in college, so Tower Records still existed, and I would just get a CD. Usually, it'd be something like you know, um, we had this really great radio station in San Diego called um, Nine Four Nine. They still exist now, but they specialize in playing. They're like the anti top forty, right? So they played more indie stuff, more local stuff, more punk pop, whatever that you know. Um, those darn hipsters listen to um but you know i would hear a song that i would like and i would go find their cd and like listen to the rest of their stuff and that's kind of how i did music discovery and the same way with um same way with asian american artists some like you know i find out about someone i like um or you know meet someone from our shows pick up their ecd and just listen to everything they have to say um we were really lucky in san diego because like we had people like like jane louie would come to our cafe every once in a while and play like um Lindsay Young and you know a lot of there was a good amount of like Ken Oak would come down once in a while and just um, play our school and so there was chances to see them live and you know after you see them live and then you buy their CD and mm-hmm. then you listen right yeah I, I think it's um, well for me I've been keeping track or I've been trying to keep track of like the Asian American artists you know since uh, 2000 well actually probably since like 98 because I got involved with an Asian American record label, Classified Records, uh, back in San Francisco. They're the ones who put out Panay. Nice. You know, um, but seeing, <laughs> yeah. So seeing that growth and seeing where it's at now and seeing the potential where it is, um, it's exciting. It really is. And I know that there's a lot of strides that need to be made. But um, in terms of, so I spend a lot of my time every day just trying to see what comes out. Mm-hmm. And I know it's surprising to a lot of people that there's maybe 20, 30 releases that I find out of every week that comes from the community. You know, our website alone has like a thousand artists that we're, you know, we feature from the API community. Um, but the music is really out there and it's amazing music. I mean, I know that I was listening to your, your podcast from the last time and being critical. And I think it's important. Um, and there, but the thing is, there is really good music out there. And so, um, Find Which is why you exist. Maybe, maybe, we'll see. I mean, that's what I mean. The way you're, honestly, what 
we just talked about this. Edna. It's like when to say it fresh for the podcast. It's like, well, we've already talked about this, but I must reiterate. It's so important for people who care that much and are passionate about finding that music and taking the time to share it with people. I mean, that's li- like once upon a time, that's the only way you found out about stuff is people telling you about it and you weren't going to be able to hear it on your own on the radio because you just don't listen 24-7. And now that there's so many platforms and different avenues, like it's still like there's just so much out there. Mm-hmm. I, I really appreciate people. Like, for example, shout out to Rira. Love you for sending me this k-pop list which i haven't listened to completely but she heard me on the podcast kind of saying like i'm not really into the current k-pop scene and that's that's a very layered issue but i mean in general i don't have anything against the music i just don't really go out of my way to go find the good stuff and there's always going to be and there's always gonna be like this this awesome so she made me a playlist you know what i mean she went out and made me this list of all the stuff that she really likes that she thinks i that she wanted recommend to me and i appreciate that because again only so many hours in the day, so many different things out there. So, yeah. well, I mean, we spent a lot of time last week talking about like the artistic ecosystem, right? You got your consumers, you got your critics, and now you know we have our curators. Like the curators are like the radio stations, sites like Tractivist, people who you know put together these packages to share with consumers what they should listen to. I just, <laughs> I just came up, I just, I just saw the pattern right now, so. His eyes are shining right now. His eyes are all sparkly. We need a video of this. Marvin's just like. Talking about curators, um, let's talk a little about your site. Um, You just um, launched a site called Tractivist where you're literally curating what seems like the whole of Asian American music. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, again, thank you for having me because this is great to be able to talk about it. Um, So, I started tractivist.com. just let's see March. So it's only been like two months. It feels like it's been a while, but um, two months. And it's really just a website that uh, focuses on promoting and documenting or archiving music made by Asian Americans. Um, I think it was important, like Minji was talking about, you know, there's so much information, so much music out there, um, but it's difficult to find. And so uh, shout out to the websites that already exist, um, but we wanted to take it a step further and, and be kind of not only just a hub for the music, but also a a way to appreciate and um, pretty much the music that's been made. I mean, we go back, we're trying to go back as early as the history of Asian America itself. That's That's really our goal. You know, I mean, I think we've gone as far back as maybe the early 1950s, mm. you know, but we're really trying to dig, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, we know we know of poems that have been written in, you know, in Angel Island in, in the Bay Area by, you know, Chinese Americans. You know, it, it's just about stories, really. That's what it is. It's just a collection of stories. And, and a lot of people, they might criticize the website because they're like, okay, so if I make you know, a couple of videos or something, then, you know, I can make it on the website. Um, it's, the standard is a, is a higher than that. You mm-hmm. know, we, we, we see, we want to see artists who are putting the videos, putting the music out there, putting the effort to push their craft out there. So they are having their SoundCloud accounts, their web pages, their, you know, they're really pushing it. So we look for that. Um, but it, it's, it's about just seeing the perspective 
of Asian Americans and their stories of what it's like to be an American and, and, and how they received, how they, how they've been influenced by music and, and how they interpret life based on how their experiences here are in America. Right. You know, so it's, I don't see it as my place personally to judge you as an artist, you know, whether I agree with the beat or whether you're like the greatest singer of all time. Um, the site is really meant for you to be able to share your story so that we can I, create a more f- defined identity. Because I think someone put it really well, is that um, Asian America is in constant beta, mm-hmm. right? There was a time period in which maybe in the 1960s when they coined the term Asian American. And, and it was because there was a lot of racial tension. There was a lot of um, just a lot of stuff happening to the community in which they had no control. And so they decided to come together as a group, come up with Asian America as a term, and then push forward to make sure that they controlled how things worked for the community. Mm-hmm. So there was music that came out of that period. Um, and it was awesome. It was intentional. And there was even a sound that was trying to be created. And um, people will know that in the 70s, I think, there was an Asian American jazz movement that they were trying to create an Asian American sound. But then immigration laws changed, which is great because there was quotas back in the day. The quotas kind of got let go of, and so immigration changed. The dynamic of Asian America changed. And I think it's something that just needs to be readdressed, especially in entertainment and music, you know, because this is where I get stuck all the time is you get a lot of people. There's a spectrum of artists. There are those that carry that spirit of like the 1960s, 1970s, where they're like, you know, I'm Asian American. I'm proud of it. And I'm going to do what it takes so that we can we can define ourselves. Mm -hmm. Then you have those that are like, "Ah, I don't think I want to even talk about this because once I say it then I lose my chances of being like popular and sales and I'm putting in a little category I'm putting put a category and yeah. you know which is you know that's that's a that's a approach that you know that some people like to take and then there's those who are like in the middle mm-hmm. um, for me that's what I hope discussion comes out of tractivist Mm -hmm. you know i'm not trying to push you one way or the other but i'm basically trying to say you guys need to just start talking about it yeah you know because i don't think we talk about it enough as as artists as as people involved in because everyone knows music is a powerful medium you know it's global and so you can you know movement comes through you know music so I, i think it's important I think of two interesting things there. The first of all is the fact that, you know, like the immigration, like the second wave of Asian American immigration in like the 70s and 80s really kind of affected uh, our growth as a culture because instead of having, you know, an entrenched third or fourth generation, you know, like like a lot of the Japanese Americans in the States are, you know, fourth generation now going to the fifth generation. You, you have a lot of, you kind of have a reset of first and second generation immigrants who kind of are going through that awkward, you know, adolescent phase of, uh, American culture where like they're not sure if they want to be their own culture or American but right so that's that's one thing that's interesting that's happening you know there's a third wave now from like mainland China and you know now that you know immigration is in flux right well we're just globalized more I feel like in general yeah the world just the accessibility to other cultures and things like that sorry to interrupt you no it's okay um and then number two is um 
Shoot, I forgot what number two was. I just killed it. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this happens every so often. No, I, 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 it's funny because we're part of collaboration and collaboration is all about Asian American empowerment. But at the same time, I struggle with the same, those same challenges that you were putting out there. To be honest, like, and, and it hasn't become, it, it was always that struggle. And I was aware of that growing up in high school, college, being part of different organizations. And then, of course, even in the music that I support and why I support it. And then pursuing arts in my own right, figure like, do I want to be like the ultra, like I'm Asian and that's, you know, bringing attention to it and kind of waving that flag consistently or constantly or do I want to reject it and kind of let that just be there? Like, okay, I know I'm Asian because look at me, but we're not going to talk about it because, because I don't want to, you know, like I'm kind of tired of making everything being about race and making everything about the way that I look and what responsibility I hold in being an artist and representing and da, 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 da. that's just the truth, you know, but, and I think collaborations help me on a day to day basis for real, like, navigate that because certain days I'll be like hell yeah this is all about it I'm gonna represent be proud and other days you know it doesn't have to be the forefront of everything and I think say do feel right I don't know it's a balance but I think that it is at the end of the day we we hold this particular responsibility that we have stepped into willingly intentionally knowingly and say no, you know what? This is important because I think this is something we can contribute to the greater community that a lot of people can benefit from having that conversation, from talking about it, from like just diving in headfirst and embracing it or like whatever that outcome is, we're helping create that dialogue. Yeah, and so. and, and this is what I, I try to tell artists is wherever you fall in the spectrum of whether you're pro-Asian American or not, you're identified. You yeah. Know? You yeah. have been defined. So what do you want to do about it? And that's that's why it's important for them to, you know, it, it's important that they at least think about that because anytime that you go on a stage, let's say you're playing in like middle America, I mean, in some sense, because of these stereotypes, because of how you've been defined, um, you're, you're representing whatever, you're representing yourself, uh, you're representing, you know, Asian America in that sense, because you are, you are presenting a different side of it. Like, you know, I mean, people are in shock whenever you have somebody who is like rapping that happens to be Korean American. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have to think about this stuff and how, whether, wherever you fall, it's, I'm just, I guess my point is that you have to understand that there's bigger dynamics there's bigger it's a bigger picture than just your art itself there's Mm -hmm. certain things that are happening around you that it's important to at least recognize right you know it doesn't uh, have to dictate everything that you do or say or create just know that it exists right and that um you know um in and this is where i i'm fascinated as where it would go where where this movement will go is it going to be about us coming together and saying let's move forward together and make a difference together or is it about just someone still trying to break through and then we all just follow after they break through the door i don't know well i mean you know i i I know i bring this up like every podcast for the last three weeks but you know art is all about like perspective so like you know asian americans like 
there's just songs out there that are just about, you know, the love songs, about going after a girl or whatever. And there are songs that do give that perspective of like, um, especially in, in like our, our hip hop artists, you know, I, I guess it's, it comes out more because it's, all, it's about struggle, right? Right. The struggles of being Asian American is much more clear, I guess. Right. Rock music is about that too. Rock music is all about, you know, like it's, it's always been a, you know, a subversive genre where, you know, you're essentially it's, it's angry music, right? <laughs> I was always thinking like, you know, if I ever was in the rock band, it would be okay if I couldn't sing because I would just be loud, right? <laughs> and that's kind of like the the point of the pop movement, the pop movement, right? It's just you know we're just loud and saying stuff, and like you can't stop us because yeah. it's music, you know. Yeah. But um, I remember what I was thinking. That's my second point. Now was um, you brought a good point about you know like you think about the Asian American artists now, and we're you know we're kind of taking what's essentially American music and using it as our medium. You know, I don't know if we you know certain artists do draw from their roots like you know um there's a dj shanghai restoration movement that mm-hmm. you know uses right. you know traditional you know chinese instrumentation in his you know mixes but in terms of like you know like classic cultural you know asian music i mean even the um founding collaboration was kind of a not a rejection but a moving away from that right because you know right. we've heard pk talk about how when he first started collaboration there was really nothing korean american out in the in the market quote unquote it was all you know cultural shows it was like dancing traditional the drumming music. and the yeah. fan dances things and, like that yeah. so there wasn't any like asian american music from the beginning was always you know rock hip-hop kind of the, the like quote-unquote youth movement you know um genres um so it's interesting you know that you were saying that for a while we were trying to find our own sound and we were finding it through jazz which is interesting as well but because our you know, our culture doesn't have a you know a sound right like I think ultimately what I'm trying to show through Tractivist is that if you listen to the music, it sounds like the music that we are influenced by. It sounds like the music that's out there, and it makes sense because we're Americans, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. we listen to the same albums, we we listen to the same radio stations. You know, we don't, and we consume the music in the same way that everyone else does. No one listens to a track and says, oh, this is dope. I wonder what ethnicity they are. No one does that, right? <laughs> we don't even do that. Yeah. And no one says to themselves, I'm going to listen. Well, maybe some people, but I would say the majority don't say, oh, I'm going to listen to an all Asian American playlist. You know, like it's just not what people do normally. Mm-hmm. And, but, and that's what you'll find in the music is that it's our stories as Americans. And, an Asian American sound, I mean, creating a sound in general is difficult, mm-hmm. right? To just say, this is our sound. And I think it actually can be done. You know, if you're thinking about certain rhythms, if you're thinking about certain, um, uh, I mean, I guess if you want to jump into tr- traditional like cla- like instrumentation, but that's a little limiting because how many instruments are really tied to traditional means? Right. So you can, but then... I'm not sure if that's the direction, but, you know, you can take it in terms of rhythm. Like, let's say we wanted to do a certain rhythm and all the artists decided to jump on it and then create, you know, just this is our rhythm. Kind of like, um, like, I would say, like, culturally, like, reggae has a certain I rhythm. I totally think you're reggae. You know, bossa nova has a rhythm. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, there's just different forms in which you can just ca- you could just claim a rhythm. So, yeah, I think it is possible to have an Asian American sound. But I don't think that it should be the end goal, you know, because I think that um, I think it's important if you want to do it. I think you could actually capitalize that if you want, um, because then everyone becomes, you know, part of this movement. But at the same time, I think the most general music listeners and consumers, you know, that they we just the music just in itself has to be accepted as just part of what's out there. And that that's what 
that's what's important is because like as we you know what you hear often from the artists is that they don't have someone to reference to say I grew up and I was influenced by this artist who ha- was of Asian American descent. Mm-hmm. You don't hear that often. You know, um, they could name like some classic albums from the Beatles, from Led Zeppelin, from, you know, Metallica. They can name those. But do you know of any that came from the community in which you were able to say, oh, yeah, they look like me and they played music that I, you know, and it all ties to identity formation, I think. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, what kind of music would you have made if you had somebody who looked like you and played music that you enjoyed? What difference would that make in your life? And so. That's why I think sites like what we're doing, what you guys are doing is just putting, it's basically putting role models out there so that people can have a, an opportunity for identity formation that's maybe not as hard as maybe when we were growing up. Because mm-hmm. when we come to that point where we're like, holy crap, we're Asian American and it's tough. Like we, whether it's an encounter in racism or whether it's an encounter through a class or a book that was, you know, it's a very like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like, what do I do with this? Like, how do I deal with this? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, yeah. But if you add music into the mix, maybe it wouldn't make it as shocking. Maybe it would make your transition or your understanding of yourself as an American who's of Asian descent. Maybe it would make it a little bit less of a struggle. Right. Maybe even empower you know, like you from an early age. So we'll see where it goes. Well, I feel like especially at the young age when you are, it's not just by race or like culture, but as, as a person, gender, like every sexuality, like you are trying to figure out who you are as a person. And when all those things do come into play, having somebody who just gets you, that's honestly what a lot of what drew me to the types of music that I liked so embarrassing but Mariah Carey I felt at a young age like got it you know I'm a very big like I loved uh diva singers I love Whitney Houston I love Celine Dion I love Mariah Carey um all those but the love songs I'm just like I came out of the womb like a raging romantic but I felt like that music helped kind of it was a catharsis it was a release and like oh someone gets it when I'm five years old but I really was like oh my god they get it um and that's what I think and and that kind of helped shape me and embrace that part of me that is a raging romantic and just be like you know there are other people out there who really love love and who love to who sing about it and who really understand it and honor it the way that I do just on that level it has nothing to do with me mm-hmm. being a woman really or just me as a person right and that's what I think that music has that intangible quality of releasing that part of yourself. And that's why we gravitate towards it so much to, and why we honor the people who create it so much. Cause they could honestly be the worst person on the planet. But if they made you a song like that really resonates with you and gave you that release or that Avenue to say that, Oh, they, someone out there gets what I'm about. You're like, you will love them forever. You'll be, give them all the money, buy their albums, go to their concerts, all that stuff. And you know, that's, I just, I, I'm amazed by that constantly. I was going to say, what about Bieber, but never mind. About what? Bieber, but never mind. Honestly, I, there's Bieber songs that I like. I, I don't, again, you have to remove the yeah. artist from the art. Bieber is so polarizing, but I, I take a step back and go, wow, this guy decided to use Legacy as his backup singers to tour around the world. Yep. He exposed audiences to a bunch of Asian American guys. Yeah. He gave them a platform to, to succeed. And for that, we should just be, in a sense, grateful, you know, it's kind of weird to say, but yeah, because he could have chosen anybody. 
Mm-hmm. He really could have. I mm-hmm. mean, with his star power, he could have. Yeah. And um, and his team and Usher and all them. Yeah. I mean, even one of his tracks, I mean, he, you know, uh, we recently did an interview with August Rigo. And he he's a Filipino-Canadian. And um, he was part of, you know, Justin Bieber's, like, work. And so, you know, choosing to go with him, I mean, it, you might hate him maybe as a person. But musically, he has provided some opportunity for Asian American artists. And now he's in Floyd Mayweather's entourage. <laughs> <laughs> did anyone well you guys did, I didn't watch it. <laughs> but um shoot, I forgot what I was gonna say again because I was thinking about Bieber. Damn it. You went down that rabbit hole, uh, <laughs> you gotta take responsibility. <laughs> he's like no. I'm in this vortex with Bieber. Oh <laughs> uh, damn it. Oh uh, no, okay, I remember now. Um I was gonna say like I was just thinking about, you know, why, like, thinking about the Asian American sound that like we were talking about, right? Like, it's kind of interesting that, you know, like, a lot of, you know, you know, hip-hop or, like, the reggaeton movement or whatever, you know, it has roots in, you know, Latin culture, um, African-American culture. Like, um, I think that's kind of something that Asian Americans don't have. We don't have, like, a, a modern, you know, like, dance movement or whatever that's based on, you know, I guess something that we're used to culturally that's part of our culture you know like you know like big dance parties and things like that aren't really unless you know like filipino i guess um there's you, always a dance party yeah east asian like you know it's not really dance. a big part of you know <laughs> like the biggest dance movement from east asia from the last like recent memories like gangnam style you know yeah which is and God. that was like a macarena style like yeah. kind of, you know, like that thing yeah. right yeah but is um, that necessary here's like my question to that is like well, Asian American in general is such a freaking huge umbrella term anyways. There's so many different cultures. There's no no one representative culture. You can't like say, "Oh, like if it was say that there was like a sound that was influenced by Chinese music, like traditional Chinese movement or music or whatever, martial arts, whatever." You're still not representing a a huge number and like majority of other cultures that have no connection to that and just saying like, "Oh, that's like I don't know. Do you get what I'm saying? Well, I mean, these days that's it's you know, K-pop's t- taking over all of Asia and the world. I essentially. don't think so. I th- honestly, the real the talk- hottest song right now in China is literally a Gangnam Style knockoff. It's some dude <laughs> in like wearing garish clothes doing some weird dance but, but where he's that's like all galloping. A trend though, you know? that's it's a trend. Let's let's yeah. just like that's why we I think we have to take a step back and acknowledge music for what it is. Whatever is hot right now will not be in a few months. That's the reality of just culture, right? That's why we have culture. It's because everything comes in waves, right? There was a point where bell bottoms were all the rage. Does anyone wear them anymore? Hell no. And if you did, you'd be like, oh, you're doing like a little cute vintage throwback thingy. But that's not what everybody's wearing. Do you know what I'm saying? The the pop culture thing is about trends it's about what's hot and what defines that that generation at that time in that place which i think is really cool but nothing lasts forever and just because like k-pop is no offense to k-pop lovers i'm gonna get a lot of hate it's a fad it's a trend it's not gonna be hot forever you will love it forever i will love i love 90s k-pop forever forever i will listen to it and i'll be a fan but it's not hot right now. Nobody listens to HOT on the radio and no one's sharing that video. That was of the 90s, early 2000s, and then it's done. But will it influence the rest of pop? Possibly. Absolutely. There are things that like keep alive forever. Like R&B has changed, you know, so much. It still has kind of a thread, but it's not the same as it was 20 years ago. 
the sounds change the i don't know i don't know i'm going off no no it 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 makes it makes total sense and and me personally i think that it's we have to take like maybe five steps back and to talk about do people even want to be in Asian America? Do we even want that term to exist? Right. You know, because it is, you know, it's something that it's out there, but I feel a lot of people just jump in it, but they don't decide, you know, it's like they had someone else make that decision for them and they just kind of take that ride with it. And then they get to some point where either it works for them or works against them. But, the idea of Asian America really needs to be addressed. And I think it's like, I'm an advocate for that because it's confusing. Mm-hmm. It's totally confusing. And I think that's what's going to hinder our art and hinder entertainment is because we don't, we don't even know if we want to be in it. Right. Right. Um, it's something that came, I mean, it's, it's old. I mean, I think I was doing some reading on it. I mean, it's 18th century, 19th century old racial categories that's defined by how we look like our face or skin type our hair text you know all of that stuff they, they that's what's governing these stereotypes that still happen today i mean look at that met gala stuff i mean it's crazy i roll right <laughs> so I mean, you know can i ask you though what was your take on that i just saw photos from the hashtag i just kind of i was like i didn't know if i wanted to click on it or not I mean, for the most part, when I was looking at it, the most egregious stuff that I saw was like the headdresses, because <laughs> those are like, un- I feel like unnecessary. I guess that was, that was making a statement. <laughs> I mean, we talked about cultural appropriation last last week, and that was like on full display right. for sure. And it was interesting. <laughs> I guess um, you know, Katy Perry wore that graffiti dress, which is actually pretty cool. It was like she didn't go in like full geisha or whatever. I guess someone finally told she was also in the news though recently because of uh some controversial things she did in Taipei. Hmm. But that's that's a whole nother another thing. I don't want to get into that. <laughs> but um I mean you saw like Chloe Sevigny wearing like that kind of it's cheap house style, but it was very like the only way I can explain it is Halloween costume, Chinese girl, you know, mm-hmm. kind of that kind of thing. And then, you know, you get you know, the other other celebrities that were wearing just things designed by Chinese people, which was, I think, was the original intent. But I, think, I hope it was. That's why I think everyone was just a big question mark about the Met Gala because they're like, what is this going to produce? Like, what is what is your goal with making this theme? China through the looking glass? Like, are you trying to honor... Chinese designers are you trying to so I mean again I I wasn't I wasn't as I wasn't as angry I wasn't as like it was just I just kind of rolled my eyes I don't think it's the anger I think it's just (laughs) maybe it's just us accepting that of course this is what Hollywood or what people would think of when they think of China well, they had right. dragons and stuff. Right. Is it real? Okay, for real though. I'm not Chinese, right? We helped plan the San Gabriel Lunar New Year Festival this year. There are a lot of dragons in Chinese culture. Is there's it wrong? There's a lot to... of dragons in the Western perspective of Chinese culture. Okay, I'm just saying because like there are drag. We did a dragon dance, right? That's like part of the New Year celebration. So it's part. That's where my but like just New Year's though. Like there's you no. Know, 364 other days in the year where like dragons aren't a part of our daily lives, you know, not daily, but I'm saying it's symbolic of the culture. Well, like not fully and solely like that's not the only thing, I mean, but it is like, like Korean, s- Korean culture. We like the tiger is our national or like, you know, the tiger's used in a lot of things, right? If we use, 
I'm just I'm I'm just putting it out there coming from a different perspective of if they're trying if they're trying to be respectful and trying to like take something that is truly of that culture and like highlight it via a dress or whatever. But I guess I bet if you ask any of them mm-hmm. what the dragon symbolizes in Chinese culture, none of them will have the answer. Right. Right. I think that's really the are you wearing it as a costume or are you wearing it because you're like you you're trying to make a statement or you're trying to like, you know, like you like what it symbolizes. Right. Right. Well, that's the whole thing with like Asian culture being exoticized and put into one umbrella thing. Like, And that's kind of that was the issue with the Met Gala. I think yeah. that a lot of people had like we had people, you know, like whatever Lady Gaga was wearing some like Sushi mutant. Shoes. Hamlock slash kimono thing that wasn't even Chinese, you know. And you know, you have people yeah. defending like, well, kimonos or whatever came from a Chinese you know, dress, but like they probably had to look that up to yeah. try to justify what but, like, they did because they that, didn't go with it, any thought wearing, into it. Yeah, that thing she was wearing was not like you wouldn't even think of like Han Dynasty China when you, you're looking at it. You're, you're, you look at it like that's a kimono slash. Humble, That's exactly you know? what I was saying about Katy Perry. <laughs> this is what I was going off about yeah. last week. She wore like I don't know what the hell she's wearing. <laughs> But she's just doing like some Japanese, Chinese, Vietnamese I mean, they're, homage. They're pretty much wearing chop suey. They're wearing, you know, <laughs> well, Emma Rob, the, the thing know? that, like, honestly, I didn't have the headdress. Yes, I was like, Sarah Jessica Parker, stop it. Like, stop. I, she loves to make a statement. It's like her whole thing with Sex and the City. That's always been like her her character, like, like that part of her that she embraces. What but, about all the slanty eye makeup? <laughs> yeah. 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 That bothered me. Um, calling out Emma Roberts. I don't know what Pinterest post like influenced your chopsticks in your hair thing. That was very, very cute, but not. Um, it was just so, it was just so thoughtless. That's, that's why I didn't have like a severe emotional reaction like I do. Cause yeah, and I think it's what you said. It was just like, well, I'm not surprised. Of course they did. Of course you put chopsticks in your hair. Good job. Of course you're wearing the eyeliner. Of course you are. Yeah. Yay. Let's move on now. Cause this is so old. I, I think if I understood the whole, because it's the Met Gala, they have an exhibit right now, and I think it's about you know that particular theme, but it's tied to perception and misperceptions, mm-hmm. and I think, um, I think this is. So you say it's a long con by the Met, like for <laughs> I think that like, yeah. let's see what these Hollywood people come up with no, now. No, seriously, I, I think that it was a way for them. Well, I don't know if it was intentional. But it's certainly great because it brings this conversation out, right? Right. Um, they could have taken the route, route like Rihanna, who decided to go with a designer from China, and then that's how her dress is made. It. She's being applauded, I think, for that. But then it also highlights that there are still people out there in Hollywood who are, you know, very much influencers in uh, in entertainment that just think really backwards. Mm-hmm. And I think that's great that this happened because it's such on a national level. And it's getting so much attention that it's creating this conversation because, again, this conversation needs to happen. Right. But really, I think the losers are the people who decided not to do the research because <laughs> they're getting bashed. Right. And and that's important. You yeah. Know, they need to know why, you know, them just doing a quick Google search or something is not going to really do anything. You have to respect culture. Um, and, and it's important for, for them to make the choices, uh, you know, educated and cultured choices, not, not just something that they freaking <laughs> figured out on their I own. I mean, looking at the comments, though, like... It's the it's the typical internet comment bipolar disorder, right? right? You have people that are super angry and people that are super defensive, <laughs> and anyone in the middle gets like drowned out, 
right we're gonna get drowned now <laughs> i just like uh, it's funny i was getting all angry i'm like i'm so emotionally detached <laughs> that's my emotionally that's me clowning on myself but um i don't know how to be emotionally <laughs> detached from anything i was actually, I was actually um because I, I i was interested about the theme because it, you know it's kind of someone wrote an article i think five days before the the gala and it was talking about how this was just going to go terribly wrong just because it's like a setup for something really, really wrong. Mm-hmm. And it got me curious, is this the first time they've ever done this? But actually, <laughs> I think in 1980, they had a similar or a theme that was tied to um, to Eastern culture. Sure, it was way worse back then. And I was trying to look for pictures. <laughs> I couldn't find any. I couldn't find any. It's, I was been, just... it's been destroyed. Holly <laughs> <laughs> was like, we were, we were too racist. Yeah. Let's destroy all evidence. Yeah. This never no. happened. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. But I don't, like, in this day and age where... You, Everyone is so like, especially American cultures. Everyone's so afraid. Everyone's so PC, right? Everyone's so afraid of like really taking a stance. I would imagine when this theme came out, it was every publicist's worst nightmare. <laughs> like, holy crap, how are we going to do this? And this is me imagining. My theory is that <laughs> I'm sure, like, whoever was wearing those more like, I, mean, I won't even call them offensive, like more shallow type costumes. Let's call it what it is, you know. I'm sure it's because they were the publicists were overridden, you know? I don't know. Unless the publicists had, like, no idea of how PR works or whatever. Or they're yeah, just culturally insensitive. Maybe. But I think the fact that there was definitely an air of, like, oh, damn, like, we got to walk on eggshells. That says something about the state that we're at, that people are aware. Like, I could get a lot of, a lot of crap for this, right? And they're going to go one way or the other, you know, they're going to choose one way or another. They're going to choose which dress they're going to wear. They're going to choose the headdress. And they, again, all these celebrities have teams. This is just the reality of like the industry. There are groups of people. So I'm not even like giving Sarah Jessica Parker that much crap. Cause at the end of the day, it was probably her decision. Like, yeah, I'm going to wear this or not, but I'm sure she also had like her publicist and her management and her team. That's just the reality of any celebrity that make their living off of Sarah Jessica Parker and her photos on that red carpet that supported it. That's why I give Katy Perry no room for defense. Like, you had a whole empire of people who make their living off of you all support this stupid decision for such tasteless whatever. Like, and if she's apologizing, whatever, fine. Good, good job for you guys. But I'm saying it's just more than that person. So I'm not attacking, like, any individual person. I, I don't mean to, like, say, like, Sarah Jessica Parker, you're a horrible person. Why'd you wear the headdress? I just don't. I, I have my opinions about it. And. And whatever with the the Chloe, what's her last name? Kardashian. No, Savine. 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 Yeah. I don't know. Did she choose that <clears throat> dress? Did her stylist choose that dress? And then she just said yes. I don't know. But whoever okayed it, you get called out. We're calling. I'm calling you out. Bad bad decisions. I saw a dude who was wearing a suit with dragons on it. I Justin Bieber really, had the dragon jacket. The that cool. was who he was. What a terrible person. No, was, there are other people too. I'll never listen to songs. <laughs> but okay, again, it's kind of like it's kind of like they they called it China through the looking glass. So maybe that's their de- they were setting up to be defense. You know, that was their like. I'm surprised no one came as Asian Alice in Wonderland. That would have been like right on the nose. Glass. Right. <laughs> Everyone be like, oh my god, that's so clever. Yeah. Whatever. I don't know. It was definitely a missed opportunity. I mean, think of all the designers that are Chinese or Chinese American that could have been, you know, displayed on the red carpet at this event. 
Right. It's, it's such a missed opportunity. It's I think it sucks. Well, I hope that there are fashion bloggers out there who will go and actually find the ones that were. Yeah, and there are. Bring it. Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, are. they're being mentioned here yeah. and there. I, I saw in some of the articles that I read, but let's do BuzzFeed list. Somebody. Mm. Somebody. <laughs> we'll share it. Um, yeah. All right. I'm clearly just, I don't care about this at all. <laughs> I don't care at all, you clearly guys. Clearly you don't. Clearly I don't. Obviously. No you emotional have attachment. no opinions. <laughs> nothing to say about it. I have also learned that if I'm wrong about something, which is why if I'm wrong about something that I said, empirically, as in terms of facts, please email podcast at collaboration.org. I will be, I'll stand corrected if I. Yeah. Everyone email Minji. Facts about dragons and Chinese culture. <laughs> yeah, please do. I don't, again, I don't know. This is what I'm saying. I We've talked, Marvin and I have talked about this so much, it just like in our personal conversations, how much it's it's silly to assume that we know about each other's culture. I don't. I know about Korean culture, limited at that. I don't even know what's going on in the K-pop world. I don't know anything. I don't follow that stuff. So I only know what I know. <laughs> So I'm open to being educated. I'll have my assumptions. I can give you my perspectives because I feel like my maybe my perspective of Chinese American culture is that of like a white person's. To be honest, maybe I have a little bit more insight because I've eaten the food so much more frequently. My best friend is Chinese American, but we don't sit around talking about our ancestors and stuff like that. I don't know every single cultural ceremony that she does or things that she practices or believes in as a result of her Chinese American background. I don't. But I've known, been friends with her for over 20 years. That's just, we talk about business. We talk about, you know, what are we doing with our careers? And we talk about boys and we, you know, that's what we talk about. We don't, that conversation, like it is a special conversation because it doesn't happen that often. Even amongst people who are, my roommate's Filipino-American. He doesn't know that much about his Filipino-American background as much as he would like. So we're all, that's, that conversation happens between us. So (laughs) it's not an everyday thing. Tell me about how you, you know, blah, blah, blah. Tell us about the debutante balls. (laughs) And the cotillions. <laughs> and that stick dancing thing you guys do. I can tell you all about that if you really want to know. <laughs> I am, actually. No, because I've, I've DJed like, I don't know, a thousand or something. It's... And you are an excellent DJ, by the way. You DJ our open mics. This is what I'm saying. Like, when you when souls align, music is a great way to tell if you if you are in alignment with each other. Because when he, when Richie was DJing, he was DJing in between our auditions because he was helping work the sound. And every song thing, I was like, <gasps> <laughs> so happy yeah and i love the fact that artists would come in and they would say so i heard i heard there's a, a party going on in here we were partying in between like we were having so much fun yeah we can put that well, on i mean we're kind of running along so maybe we'll bring you back later talk yeah. we'll, we'll, we'll bring a, a panel of filipinos to talk about <laughs> um but something i know is you know um one of the things that you know when when collaboration became pan-asian is we we started realizing that a lot of talent comes from the filipino community you know yeah. he, because the Filipino, you have a culture that kind of, you grew up around performing, right? Of singing, dancing, things like that. Part of that is, you know, the cotillions, the debutante ball, things like that. And that really informed kind of, you have more people who had more exposure to performing rather than, you know, like, um, like for myself, it was until like high school, when, you know, he joined band and then we got into performing, things like that. Like, I mean, I think that has a lot to do with the, the talent that comes out too, right? The people that are really like, they grew up doing this and they realized they want to do it for reals. Like certain upbringings give you more exposure to that kind of, you know, right. Art. 
Right. So I'm saying, like, every Filipino I meet, it, like, can dance and or sing. <laughs> like, that's the stereotype. You, you know this. Yeah, like, yeah. everybody's like, oh, you're Filipino. It makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> what dance crew are you on? <laughs> what, what's your EP? Like, <laughs> yeah. where's your or magic mic? <laughs> are you a DJ, too? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's tied. I mean, obviously, like, culture, history-wise, I mean, it, you could really take it back to colonialism. I mean, De- debuts are like you it's know a thing, right? it's very spanish and yeah. it's very upper echelon spanish tradition mm. and in some ways it's, it's it's a i don't know i it's a weird thing for me to to see cotillions happen probably because most of the time it's just like i could see the tradition behind it and i think it's great to to do a ceremony of presentation but I've seen people go into financial debt over this thing, and it's well, like, now we have weddings. No, no, <laughs> That's but, a more no, no, but universal. They, no, but they had debt created and weddings. Yeah. So yeah. imagine Jeez. the financial burden that comes out of that for families. So yeah, it, it, it's so crazy. Deal, and then yeah. having American uh, <laughs> like takeover, I guess, in the Philippines. You know, the culture of Filipinos is very geared towards imitating America, right. and so as much as maybe we've been like. You know, you'll see us, you know, maybe taking on forms of art and entertainment, being more uh, confident and going that way. We've also lost a lot of culture as well. Right. And so there's, you know, is it really an advancement? But I think that the kids now, they're really fighting to, to, to re... Because I grew up in a generation where my mom said, you know, you need to learn English really well. Mm-hmm. We're not going to necessarily teach you the language. Yeah. Um, because your success is based on how American you are. Right. Rather mm-hmm. than Filipino. Right. Um, but it's different for kids now. And I, I like that they're, you know, it's not that way. You know, they, I, well, I guess, well, <laughs> I know my cousins teach their kids and my and my brother and his wife are teaching their kids that being Filipino having the culture and traditions and language is important Mm -hmm. and it's actually a benefit rather than a you know disadvantage absolutely I have a feminist question do boys have cotillions no see because I have a lot of questions with traditions as a whole like not just Filipino or Korean or whatever just different traditions what they say about the different struggles going on because there's a huge feminist struggle of like well because you know they've had certain things like sweet 16s right I just like every girl from what I from what I knew in my generation I had a sweet 16 party. I never heard of any guy having like 16th was a big deal because that's kind of like when you got to drive, right? But like we made it a thing about girls having a sweet 16 and I was like now that I'm older or and if I had a, and quinceañeras, yeah, like yeah. what is that derived from in, in patriarchal society blah blah blah. That's that's where my mind goes. And so I'm wondering in terms of tradition like I, I I'm a super like despite my my thought process and things that I get really fired up about. I I love tradition. I love upholding certain cultural ceremonies and things like that. But I, I'm trying to understand the roots of them more mm-hmm. because I'm wondering: Do all traditions need to be upheld, or are they allowed to evolve? To you know what I'm saying? Like if you had a quinceanera and you start doing that for boys as well, because why not? Like if it's a coming of age thing, like boys as well as girls should get dressed up and get presented or whatever. That's why I just don't. Even with American culture, they had those debutante balls, and that was like all the rage at one point. And that's pretty much what a cotillion is. Yeah, that's, but like yeah. it was only for girls, right? As, as far as I know, superficially, that's it's a girl thing. 
that's disturbing to me. Like, why are girls being presented into society? Like, okay, now she's ready to be married. I'm sure, again, I might be wrong factually, but I'm sure that has a lot to do with that. I mean, and that's just yeah. gross. I think, I think growing up, a lot of my friends were presented with the opportunity to have a party when they turned 18. Yeah. Um, I'm all but, about that. Let's party. <laughs> but then the choices were you can have a party or we can help you buy your car. Right. <laughs> and a lot of the guys at the time is like all racing and stuff. They're like, dude, I, I'll go for the car because I want to soup up my Honda Civic. So nice. You so know. Those are peak ACN years, right? Yeah. Yeah. Peak, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't know about these things. I want to learn. <laughs> but I, I'm, I'm really interested in learning about traditions and like what are the roots in, in general overall. Because maybe some traditions are allowed to be a thing I mean, of the past. I kind of feel like though, like from my extensive research on watching MTV, that like Sweet Sixteens are something that, like the drive. I don't think does it come from the parents or it comes from the kid, right? But I'm saying that's it. it it's kind of like it's a full circle thing because kids grow up hearing about it because other kids are doing it and other kids are doing it because their parents like who's gonna fund a Sweet Sixteen party? The parents. Right. Mm. And they know it because that's what they grew up with. And that's what they grew up with. That's what they grew up with. Like mm. it goes back. It's, it's a, that's what tradition is. But I'm curious to see as how traditions evolve into something different. Or if you're like really, really set on keeping a certain tradition alive, hmm. what are the merits of that? And are we kind of, you know and what I mean? I kind of <coughs> feel like the sweet 16 wasn't a big deal when, when I, where I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Like we had 16th birthdays, but it wasn't like. I grew the up in a very white neighborhood. Deal. Maybe that's why. Yeah, I was. I had my group amongst the cheap Asians who were like, here's a cake. Yeah, it's, it's made of fruit. Here you go. <laughs> I I'm, I had my sweet 16th birthday at a country club. That's fancy. I did again, but it passed so so like I was so absorbed with school and like a bad boyfriend that I had at the time that it didn't fully settle in at that time. It's just something that I was like partaking in passively. I feel bad because I feel like my dad. Did, went out of his way at a time, you know, he was working really hard and he doesn't have to do any of that. That's not a requirement as a father to provide your daughter a sweet 16th birthday, inviting 20 of her friends to a freaking country club yeah. and feeding them a big giant dinner. That at 16, I'm just realizing now, almost 30, that that happened because it was just to me. We could have been at a park having a barbecue and I probably would have had a better time. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? So anyway. It's crazy. I, I'm I'm thinking about all the ones I've been to. I mean, there's some t- sometimes where there would be, it would be in a hotel. Actually, a lot of times it'd be in a hotel. It's kind of like the standard thing to do, mm-hmm. having a hotel, and it's basically a wedding. I mean, sometimes 300 guests, and it's it's expensive. And and thinking about how you're you were mentioning, is it something that should carry on? Is there any you know benefit to us? I was thinking about. Oh, shout out to my goddaughter who just had one um, <laughs> but uh i'm not sure if there really is much difference from the ones that now happen versus the one i've been to in the past mm-hmm. i think the thing i noticed for sure is that the dancing is amazing now yeah like, the routines are crazy good i saw some videos you know? and- <laughs> uh, but crazy. other than that you know the presentation the you know the it's just, I still think it's over the top. I mean, there's much more you can do with your money. I don't know if I'm just being cheap. But, no, I think you it's, know. you know, like, from what I understand, like, these cotillions, they're originally from, you know, Spain, and they're for nobility, or they're for, like, the right. uh, yeah. aristocracy, yeah. you know, the, to, like, present their, you know, the daughters of well-to-do families mm-hmm. to potential suitors, right? Mm-hmm. That, isn't that kind yeah. of the no, whole no, point? No. Yeah. Right? I, and I think 
in terms of that, like these days, that's kind of an anachronistic, you know, um, thing because yeah. people are getting married a lot later. You know, or American, yeah, American culture is not about you know, like let's hook up as soon as possible, like merge our families for power or whatever. You know, um, that's what I'm saying. Culture and tradition is changing so much. And I actually heard some a friend of mine was talking about we were talking about gay marriage, and there's. And then that kind of evolved into a conversation about just marriage in general and how the patterns and trends are changing and how people are just deciding not to get married at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just, he he was projecting like there, there's going to be no marriage in like 50 years. No one's going to care. It's just like <laughs> domestic partnership because it's all it's for legal. It was property. It was legal reasons, blah, blah, blah. And in the romantics of the world, which I am definitely, you know, it's like it's about love and commitment and making that symbolic. Shout out to my wife, Trisha. Yeah, we love Trisha. Hey, Trisha. No, but but even that. See, we'll see where that goes, because honestly, like, oh, uh, she's you. I know. We'll see where my marriage goes. No, not you. (laughs) Not you. Stop twisting. my. This is why I hate Marvin. Stop it. I'm talking about marriage as a tradition, as as a practice. You guys. God. So you cynical. and Trisha will be together so forever. Cynical. I don't think it's I'm just kidding. <laughs> no, but um, we're saying we will listen- exist in a hundred years. And that's Shut interesting. Up. Like I, I was listening to this other podcast because I listen to other podcasts yeah. besides ours because I'm unloyal like that. Um, Good. And they're talking about how, um, I guess there's some theory that like society kind of it morphs into what the world needs, right? That's kind of like. Um, overpopulation is a big deal right now. Mm-hmm. And so some people are saying that, that because of overpopulation and like the scarcity of jobs, resources, whatever is on everyone's minds, it's kind of making less. That's kind of the reason why birth rates are dropping. That's kind of, they, they say, um, they theorize that's probably the reason why like the birth rates in Japan are dropping because Japan is so overpopulated that like, you know, getting a place, your own place to live, finding a job is so expensive that people just don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Right. right? And, well, because then it's like a whole other added pressure of like how am I going to provide for my children yeah. it's like hard to provide for myself yeah. and you know like say what you will about you know our our means right I know none of us are being paid particularly well right now but um, we have what we have now is way more than like what our parents or our parents parents had growing up and like we were able to live relatively comfortably with relatively very little and that's mm-hmm. just you know because of that like there's really no you know, people are okay. Like, you don't need to pull resources. Like, the whole, like, marriage or, like, family is kind of, like, to pull resources to create a unit so that you will survive, right? And, you know, survival spend now. spend it all on a wedding. <laughs> or like, cotillion. Survival <laughs> now is very, like, it's very simple. It's, it's a lot simpler now to, like, survive on, on basic means than, like, it was, you know, 50, 100 years ago, right? Agreed. So, that has something to do with it. I mean, again, I'm no expert. Disclaimer, I am not an expert. Don't take anything I say seriously. <laughs> but it's we're, but, we're, we're participants <laughs> of society. So, I think yeah. it's just we're highly observant of what's going on around us. There's certain trends and vibes maybe that we're not informed to the, like the like highest degree of data that we can't give you a percentage. But we can, we can feel and observe and see what most people talk about yeah. right what where most of our dollars are going there's so many as a, as a female there's so many articles that i see pop up in my feed or um in my inbox or whatever based on on wedding stuff i'm of that age you know google mines all my data so they know my age they know my where i live and they know that a lot of invites i'm getting are please rsvp to this bachelorette party and you know i just again we could have a whole other podcast and i'm actually really interested to to talk about more people about this but the wedding culture of of um because we're events focused i love 
parties. I love when people can get together, have a good time, and celebrate something. Weddings are awesome. But the degree to which it just becomes this hoopla circus of... I'm sorry, but like, yeah, I don't have all the money in the world and I have friends that I love and adore. I can't go to all these events. That's become a, a cultural thing, right? Like we're expected to go, especially for women, to the bridal shower, the bachelorette, the, you know, the da 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 Yeah, I didn't realize the first time I was a groomsman, I didn't realize I had to pay for my own tux. It's all these, like, these things and these rules <laughs> and like, you know. And I'm just curious, where, where did that come from? You know, the whole... De Beers? <laughs> <laughs> Because I, I think if you're going to – this is just my personal opinion because I did end up paying for everyone's uh, garments that they wore. What? Yeah. What? Well, if you're going to invite someone to be part of your That's what event, I'm saying. Right? My friend's a cheap bastard. Actually, I knew that. <laughs> I knew that going in. Shout out to Marvin's friend that's no, he's, listening. Marvin's friend, he loves If he's you. listening, he knows who he is. Um, but no, like I knew he was a cheap bastard. So I guess that's why I wasn't like – I was more like, huh, okay, instead of like, what? So – like of course. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think it's only fair if you made us wear a lilac too. I was like, you're gonna make me wear bright purple and make me pay for it. Thanks. <laughs> well, I mean, because yeah. I will never use this again. <laughs> this can go off for so long. It's just I I love celebrating people's commitment, but it's also like people joke about it all the time. They're like, wow, this is a lot of money for something that's gonna last for five years. Like you know, <laughs> no, I mean, it's like, the truth. I mean, we we have friends that got divorced after a year, and they actually got divorced and they were still paying off their wedding that's what i'm saying yeah yeah. and people so, have done studies on that now see this has become like a sociological study the more like they say the more you spend on the wedding yeah like blah 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 so it's just things to take in consideration because it's become a cultural norm for everyone to kind of go out and I, the, the thing is theoretically i'm like that's awesome it's like you're celebrating you really believe that this is going to be forever and you want to make a big deal out of it that's your day to like shine and have all your friends and family there go to jamaica all that stuff but really like what's it going to cost you for real at the end yeah. of the day anyway that's like a whole other it can cost a lot i mean and i know trisha and i's approach to it was we're not going to throw a wedding unless we can pay for the whole thing so it took us like two and a half years to save for it. People mm-hmm. were like, wow, it's taking you forever. But at the end of the day, it's like, you know, we should only be able to put something together that we can afford because we don't want to walk away with debt in the end. That's really tough to catch up, especially if you're trying to still get to know each other as a couple, as a married couple. Because sometimes people say, oh, it's no different. We're just married now. It's a title. <laughs> my My opinion on that is if it doesn't change, something's wrong. Because... You're basically locking yourselves up for, you know, together for life. Shacking up for life. You know, and that should, that's something to celebrate. That's something to like step up, actually. You should step up. Um, step up your game. You have to, yeah. right? Because it's, you know, you're making a lifelong commitment. See, I want to do a whole other podcast where yeah. Richie gives us insight and on marriage. And that was relationship <laughs> advice from Mr. Tractivist. I love it. I love you guys. I love, you know, Trisha. So, like the I'm first not no day, expert. Yeah, no, but, should, like, but you have experience that Marvin and I don't have. Shoot, like this yeah, is all right. observational from the outside third party perspective, which is is valid in its own way. But like, yeah. I'm just talking about weddings. I'm just talking about the culture of weddings. I don't like diamond rings. I think that everything's like, expensive, man. Dating's expensive. Oh, whenever I ever go from like, oh, now I gotta spend all this money on stuff. <laughs> just don't walk in expecting that. Like, look, we're going. We're gonna drive to a, a hiking nope. area, and we're gonna spend days. It's, it's more me because I'm like, yes, I have someone to go to like all these fancy restaurants now. That like, oh. if I go alone, they'll think I'm you know weird and loser. But if I'm with a girl, then it's like, oh, date, good. I think if you walked in alone. 
I'd be like, who's this guy? We're going to get Marvin a girlfriend I'll, I'll via the, the podcast. Yeah, the I'll eat your this is a manifestation. This is like an affirmation we're happening right now on the podcast because Marvin is a really great food connoisseur. He's very, very cultured. And so we're going to we're going to go get him a, a dinner date. As seen on mm. OkCupid <laughs> and <laughs> Tinder and Coffee Meets Bagel and all the things. Anyways. Can we include that as an award? Like, <laughs> or yeah. something reward at the end of like the winner of collab collaboration. <laughs> nobody, nobody will want that. I assure you. No, right. you never say know. That. That's you another, never know. That's a negative affirmation. And Don't that's do that. a podcast, guys. No. <laughs> Thanks. Tune in next time when we talk relationships. Thanks with so Dr. much. Leo. Thanks so much to Richie Tractivist, Men Chavez for Men Chavez. Damn, Men Chavez. I got it the first time and I messed it up. Thank you for getting it right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people messed that up. All you know what? I think but of is you, no, that's actually not the first time I've heard that. It really? actually Men Chaka happens a lot. Really? I don't know why. Maybe I'm just really want a horchata right now. Um, <laughs> it was single tomorrow last night. I did have my one tequila before the sleep, so I celebrated accordingly. Um, we have collaboration thanks. events coming up. We do have collaboration events coming up. We have Spotlight going on in New York. Mm-hmm. I'm finding it right now. Let's share the details. We have had, I don't know, there's been a lot of open mics going on across the country, y'all. And I said y'all because the last one I know of was in Houston and it was ridiculous. Shout out to Houston. What? Yeah, you're from Houston. You lived in, how long? Two years? Two years. Two yeah. years. Dude, Houston is ridiculous. Those, those, it. those those uh what do you call it rodeos <laughs> rodeos it's awesome i had no idea rodeos are fun yeah but you didn't like she hasn't actually gone to the rodeo she went to like the the fair outside the rodeo yeah oh you didn't I didn't go, have, oh. I, I didn't have oh. time to, to get in rodeos. yeah, yeah. My, my favorite part is the mutton busting oh. i heard I like about the, that i, heard I like that. the pig tie <laughs> yeah. yeah when they shoot the pig out the chute and you have chase after yeah. it in the horse. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. Okay, so this is shout out to Collaboration New York because they're coming up on May 20th. So you have some time to, to sign up if you want to be on their open mic. I'm so jealous because there, there was no event. There was an event right before we went to New York mm-hmm. to meet up with Tanner and the team. Um, so we missed their open mic, but they look amazing. Yeah. They had uh, sung beats and yeah. they, had a lot, <laughs> they have a lot of collab performances, which I love. So yeah. Don't miss out. Um, stay tuned for late in May. We're going to have a collaboration Los Angeles event. Um, TBA will let you know the details probably next week. And for those of you in Los Angeles, that's our next showcase, um, June 27th at the Los Angeles Theater Center. Um, details and ticket information um, should be going live sometime next week. So t- stay tuned for that. Um, and then our next few shows are uh, Houston on July 24th. D.C. on August 8th, Chicago on August 15th, and Star, the finale show, on November 14th. So that's a while down, so you got some time there. Yeah, we got some cool stuff coming ahead, though. Um, Also, this Friday, if you want, join us at City Hall to see Collaboration receive the Dream Award from Mayor Garcetti. Garcetti? Garcetti? I don't know how to say it. Menchaca. Menchaca. (laughs) (laughs) Something Latin, I guess. Um, <laughs> along with um, our, <laughs> <laughs> along with uh, Cape, the Coalition of Asian Pacifics and Entertainment and Visual Communications, the the group behind the latest LA Pacific Film Festival, and um, yeah, that'll do it. Can I uh, shout out? Um, oh yeah, my yeah. website. Yeah, yeah. please shout okay. out your website. So, tractivist.com, dot com. T r a k t i v i s t. 
Asian American made music. And then we also do a radio show, Tractivist Radio. We do it every Thursday. If you want to listen, that's just pretty much our picks of what we think is hot. And, and we'll be sharing that as well. Yeah. Yeah, we have an article coming up written by Richie Tractivist. Mr. Tractivist himself. I would um, say written. More like just put together. Curated. That word, I everyone's starting to hate that word. Yeah. Like we curate. Curate? Yeah, but like it's, it. the, it's the most accurate description. It also sounds very fancy. Like, I'm curating this plate of cheese it's for really you. Hipster. <laughs> it's really hipster. Maybe that's why I like it so much. Yeah, I am a fancy. yupster. You're so A hybrid yuppie, yuppie hipster. Which, I, the, the lines are blurring now, I think. Right? Because you can't be a hipster without being a yuppie, I feel like. I think that you right? should... Actually, hipster is already kind of a amalgamation because it's not hippie it's like hippie with means right isn't that anyways I don't, I don't know. semantics thanks a lot for listening he to just the used the word semantics i think no i worked for a company called semantech oh oh you worked for them? Cybersecurity. yeah my cousin works for them okay. in, um, sorry that was totally, totally random shout out to semantic give us some money please <laughs> your glasses are not hipster i was just like doing a little oh no my glasses are? are totally um bob like yeah you look yeah. like a Chinese businessman. I think we should have. I like look a- like no, no. I look like the you know, you know how like all like Asian dramas. There's like the protagonist is some goofy like like clumsy dude with like messy hair, and then the the, hair. The, the the messy hair, and the love interest is always with some like business dude or like some like kind of like like a uh, stiff. You know, like I'm curious as to which you're saying you are. Yeah, I'm. They always wear glasses like mine, so I am the rival. <laughs> You're not the rival. I'm the one that loses at the end, and I find like, oh, my assistant's always been with uh, with me since the beginning. I should get with her instead, right? Who also wears glasses usually? <laughs> Is that Chinese drama? Because there's no, there's no. Probably no one, no one died. In I don't. That. Really, I don't really. Well, yeah, I don't really watch K dramas. Neither do I. I but I'm saying, K-dramas. if you want to go full That's hipster, not. you should have you should have Richie mine? style you seriously. I don't oh, want to go really? full They're hipster. They're more than that. Oh. I, I, stop tell, saying that you are. <laughs> I don't want to say full hipster. I have hipster <laughs> Do tendencies. hipsters admit they're hipsters? No, they don't. I always thought that it was a negative term. I know. Because oh. we it, use no, it, it started, it started off it as, like, I think people are more self-aware of their tendencies now. I like mm. to believe. You don't like, have a beard. Because well, I physically can't grow one. But <laughs> I'll grow one if you I do. have, like, the, like, you know, like, as we know, like I, my interests skew indie. Like I like, you know, like things that are handcrafted. You know, like kind of like more like organic, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, this is the longest sign off ever. Refurbished. Um, <laughs> refurbished. Oh, I like. So I don't mind refurbished as long as there's no like lizards in it. Once I like picked up a Craigslist couch no. and then, like a lizard like crawled out That's of it. Disgusting. And then I was cat sitting, and the cat <laughs> killed it. And then. <laughs> I was, Ew. I was I was thinking that was very like you were gonna say it as it, lizards represented something, but it's oh, no. like a real lizard. I have some yeah. really effed up stories. Anyways, um, and thanks, not enough time. Thanks everyone for listening. Thank God. Thanks again <laughs> thanks, to Buddha. Richie for joining us. Thanks for Pinji for um, putting up with me again this week. <laughs> um, and as always. Please send your emails to podcast at collaboration.org. We really like reading them and you know, we really want to see what you'd like us to talk about um, and you know, get the conversation going. So um, thanks to everyone else who's been emailing us. Um, and you know, the more you guys email, the more we'll, the more we have to say. So 
for the Clubcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Richie. Thank Tractivist. you. Menchaca. Menchaca.